Hello and welcome to Midlife Athlete Podcast. I'm your uh, co-host, Jason, and uh, as ever, I'm with my uh, co-host and mate, Greg. Hi, Greg. How Hello. Are you? Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, we've got a we've got a full house today. Yeah. Uh, we are joined by two gents in the states. Um, so uh, Dan Hutchinson, who is a, an exercise physiologist at the University of Colorado, and Wayne uh, Grimditch, who um, when I was looking at your Wikipedia uh, entry, Wayne, I was I was really impressed. Olympic water skier. And I think you set four world records. I think uh, you also won the superstars competition, which for people in our generation, that's like, wow. <laughs> well, um, I can still fake it a little bit, but that seems almost surreal uh, now. Um, those many decades ago. You know, but I had some wonderful memories and uh, certainly the Superstars was a a wonderful event where I got to meet a a host of different athletes um, across, you know, different sports, which uh, back then, you know, was uh, unusual. You know, Um, those of us who are over 50 or 60 remember there was really only three networks back then, you know, NBC, ABC and CBS, essentially. And uh, the football players were saw football players and baseball guys saw baseball guys. But the superstars competition brought together, you know, the elite athletes from different disciplines and threw them into 10 different events and see how you fared to see who was a, a good all around athlete. And I had a, uh, I guess, a good day. Lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> well, wel- welcome to you both. Uh, we're really pleased that both of you could could join, and it and it's really good that you're both in the same location because normally you're miles and miles apart. So, so that so that's really cool. And, and we thought it was we thought it was an interesting dynamic. So Joe Eisenman, for listeners who who might have listened to Joe's uh, podcast with us, he introduced us to you guys and, and said we really must speak to you. And 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 Greg and I were fascinated by this dynamic that you have because Wayne, you now run a sort of, I guess, a, your own fitness company and, and work with midlife athletes. And and Dan, you're the sort of academic. And so Greg and I were fascinated how these two pieces, if you like, the very practical and the academic research sort of comes together, which we'll, which we'll dig into. Um, but but welcome welcome to the podcast. And um, thank you so much. Thanks for having. Good to have you on board. So I guess digging in, how how did you two actually start this this working relationship that that you've got? <laughs> I'll let Wayne start on this one, and uh, and then I'll kind of chime in. If that works. Dan was working in Jupiter, Florida, and I had uh, recently moved back from California. I lived in Los Angeles for twenty years, and I moved up to Jupiter from South Florida because it was getting so crazy where I grew up, and I started. Uh, uh, training some some water old water ski friends had sons that were sons and daughters that were skiing. They said, "Hey Wayne, would you come out and take a look at them?" And so I got back interested in training. Uh, I was also doing a little golfing. Was frustrated that I wasn't a good golfer. I didn't quite understand that and the biomechanics and what was necessary for that. And I went to see um, uh, a couple of people, and they mentioned this. Paul Check had a golf biomechanic course out in California. I thought, oh, this might be really interesting. And so I was, I had already passed the certification course and I went 
to the golf biomechanic course, moved to Jupiter, started training some people. And I heard about this Dan Hutchison who had a speed training program. And I recognized that I'm over 50 and I was getting slower. And I haven't been a water skier. I don't know if you've seen much water skiing, but water skiing is very explosive and dynamic. Mm. There's not a whole lot of endurance involved. And what we do happens in a span of a millisecond to 20 seconds. And, and then that's it. And then you come back for another run if it's slalom or jumping. So I'm used to dynamic fast sports and I can see that I'm slowing down. This guy's got a speed training program. I'm going, hey, this might be really pretty interesting. So I went over, knocked on the door and we started chatting and he had a background in track and field a little bit. And my strength training coach in my twilight years of water skiing was a man by the name of Harry Snyder who was an Olympic lifting coach for Dwight Stones, a world record holder in, in the high jump, yeah. and also James Butts, who was a medalist in triple jump. And um, so I had some track and field knowledge as well. So we kind of connected on that level. And I said, well, you know, I used to have some pretty good speed. I ran a 4640 in high school and I could do I have a decent vertical jump over 30 inches. But, you know, can you help me with this? And so that that's how we kind of connected, really. And I, I don't know, I took a dozen dozen or so lessons for me. On the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe hit 17 miles an hour. I'm hoping, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But um, yeah, so that was the connection. And then um, from there, he was working with a lot of younger athletes and he's got more of an academic background, as you said, said, and I've got more of a practical background. But the clients that seemed to gravitate towards me were those that had uh, were baby boomers, those 50 to 75 pretty much that had a specific sporting interest. And, and, and that's how I sort of characterize my background that I, my parents, my uh, parents were um, champion figure skaters and, uh, and they exposed me to snow skiing, water skiing, figure skating and soccer and all that stuff at his young age. And so my clients in Jupiter happened to be those that wanted to play tennis, wanted to play golf, wanted to snow ski with their, you know, grandkids. And so I started working with them and starting understanding, well, oh, they don't move that well. And why don't they move that well? You know, is it an injury? Is it just workplace environment? You know, the relentless force of gravity and they're cathodic. The hamstrings are short. And so from there, I just started taking different courses and in collaboration with Dan and his knowledge. And Dan goes, hey, you got to look at this guy and that guy and take this certification course. So from there. You know, that's how our relationship built. And to the point where after I did the speed training, it was probably two or three years before we started collaborating with clients. And we ran a sort of a fitness circuit uh, training um, while he was doing speed training with kids. That kind of a long winded answer. Yeah, no, that's and that's kind of how we, you know, we got together two guys as well is is understanding that there's those fast twitch fibers that people refer to them, right? And a guy like Wayne and the, and the folks that he was working with didn't want to lose that ability. So we kind of meshed both programs. Yes, I was working with an athletic younger population, but, you know, understanding that, hey, this is, this is really important for tennis players and golfers over the age of 50 because they're they're moving fast on the court. They're they're rotating quickly as they're playing golf. So, um, yeah, we really just wanted to kind of bring those two things together. It was kind of by accident because of Wayne coming in thinking, hey, look, you know, I used to be a pretty explosive athlete. What are you doing differently? Brought him through some plyometrics and some 
different speed training components, guys, mostly with a high speed treadmill. Um, so we could look at mechanics and look at gait and, and manipulate different um, uh, modalities of that piece. And, and then just kind of started thinking together of, hey, how can we use this with an older population? Very gradually, very progressively, um, going back, looking at some of the literature that that involved older athlete and older individual training and what was successful and how we could kind of tweak that a little bit um, for some of his clientele. So, yeah. What was interesting, too, when I jumped into the uh, certification process in 2004 and 2005 and being an older person, um, and there was kind of a running kind of debate between the um, fitness professionals and the physiotherapists. And some of the physiotherapists wanted the fitness people to do more of this. And then the fitness people are saying, hey, we're not physical therapists. You know, we don't know how to use goniometers and you want us to do all this. So that was kind of interesting uh, how that kind of evolved. And in the end of it, though, the fitness professionals need to do some assessing. That's the bottom line. Uh, Paul Check used to say, if, if you're if you're not assessing, you're guessing. And so you do have to do some movement screening. And so through the years, that's gotten even more and more, you know, specific and involved. And Gray Cook, of course, has the functional movement screen. Uh, the Titles Performance Institute developed their screening for golfers, which was really uh, uh, an expansion of Gray Cook's FMS. Right. So I don't I don't you know, Dan and I do similar movement screens. They may be a little his are a little more involved or mine may be more specific if a person has a, a golfing interest. So our training pretty much starts with that. Other than, once you clear all the health history and that type of thing, what kind of injuries you've had and, or currently have. And then we kind of maybe go off in a little different direction in the sense that I'm probably not doing a 1RM on people or a 3RM on a bench press or a squat. I'm looking at their movement and going, okay, that person can't do a squat. Why can't they do a squat? Well, turns out she has a injury to her ankle and she has no dorsiflexion. So her knee can't move forward. She can only go down to a certain level and it's not going to get any better. But you know what? This person can do kettlebell swings and hip dominant exercises really well. And so my, my, my routine then tends to be uh, more slow, progressive, conservative to build a foundation upon which then you can build strength. Is, is that because the of the age? The age, yeah. And 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 associated current injuries they may have. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just going back, you, you were talking about you look back at some of the um uh the literature about working with the aged population. Would it would it be fair to say that there wasn't much in those days? <laughs> the, 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 you know, it's a very good point, Greg. Yeah, there wasn't a lot. Um, you know, early, I want to say early two thousands, I think people started to really study that population a little bit mm. more because of the fact that, I mean, look at the injuries that were starting to occur because of, like Wayne said, that baby boomer population wanted to be more active. They didn't, they wanted to fight that aging process. So I yeah. felt like about 2003 to 2007 is when him and I started to work together. That's when I started to look into that data a little bit more to so say, what's out there, Wayne, you know, what, what are people doing? What are you seeing? you know, based on what you're seeing, how does it relate to the literature? It, it got to be kind of a fun process of seeing what's exactly out there. 
And to be honest with you guys, I was in, like Wayne was saying, I was in that performance center world of working with mostly youth athletes, but my mornings were like Wayne. I was, I was working with, you know, the 50 plus year olds that were triathletes. They were uh, runners, they were cyclists, they were tennis players, they were golfers. Um, I was still working with that group. And then I'd get the younger group in the afternoon, but that's when I kind of started to look more into what are people doing? What are they seeing? What kind of injuries are going on? So, and then I don't know, it was, we, we kind of just kept gathering this information over and over to try to make sure, you know, what Wayne was doing with, with his clients and the group atmosphere that he was training in, that we were trying to do some productive things and um, things that could exercises, I should say, that could keep these individuals, you know, very pliable, very resilient, very bouncy yeah. um, with what they were doing. Yeah. And Greg and I um, have talked before about the fact that, you know, we, we, we are in this era at the moment of it's, it's, it's almost like a giant experiment. Um, you know, there's never been an era before where, you know, late 40, 50, 60, 70, even 80 year olds are actually, you know, actively participating in quite extreme sports events. Um, so so what did you guys you know, what have you found? whilst you've been working together i mean that's sort of screams out really it's it's fascinating because you say there isn't there isn't a huge amount of scientific research but i'm really really fascinated to see you know what you found practically from working with wayne's clients and how that melds with the sort of research well, I, I think from my standpoint, from a practical experience with working with some of these people, is that in general, I think a lot of them are surprised at how resilient the body can be and what they can actually do. In particular, some of the, the women that were 50 and older were, they may have an injury in the shoulder and they've gone to see the doctor and it's healed and they go, well, you know, you really shouldn't lift any weight over your head. Well, oh, really? And, 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 and you shouldn't do more than, you know, eight or 10 pounds. Really? I mean, it, it's, it's really crazy. And, and that's not to disparage doctors because some of the doctors, you know, they don't have expertise in the fitness world or with muscles as we do from a, either a scientific standpoint, Dan's or a practical standpoint with me. But, you know, I've had occasions where um, women come in and okay, they can do a farmer's walk, uh, carry a, eight pound dumbbells feels comfortable. Well, six, eight weeks later, they're carrying 25 pound dumbbells and feeling very comfortable and they're surprised. So there's this whole theme of, yes, you can do it. You can improve. Everybody can get stronger. You just have to work within uh, the confines of what injuries they may have or what limitations they may be faced because of their previous, pre previous life experience. Um, so with Dan, um, I mean, I think the strength component, we, we could go into the, the study of traditional training and velocity training if you want to do that. But yeah, I, I mean, just back to Jason's point too, as well of, of kind of what we found and, and like Wayne was talking about is, is this, this, this lack of movement. And I know you guys in your podcast as well, talk to people about the importance of movement. And, uh, that was really, uh, something that. The light bulb went off with with a lot of Wayne's clients of, wow, I just I have never done this. I haven't done this for years. I, I'm still capable of doing that. And where Wayne's 
you know, mindset came into play was, okay, let's really focus on this movement piece. Let's get this established early because the movement dynamic just, it, it wasn't gone. It just wasn't utilized. And like Wayne would say, you, you get a you get a female individual in that maybe she was playing golf or playing tennis and they were kind of locked into to what they were doing just for physical activity. But now all of a sudden when it came to resistance activity, they were kind of surprised at the fact that they could kind of reignite and reinvigorate those muscles to come alive again. They, they were still there. They were still functioning. And there may have been some, you know, like Wayne said, just make the reference, maybe the general practitioner or physician said, Hey, look, I, you know, maybe no need to really lift above your head, but that's not, it's not reality. So I, I think where Wayne came into play and what re- what he really found was, you know, we can, mo- we can work on this movement on a, on a consistent basis. And once they get that mobility back, it's amazing. The strength comes back into play, right? You, yeah. or currently there's this thing called anabolic resistance and they're just, when you don't use your muscles, right? You, they atrophy, you lose them. And now Wayne, like you were saying, progressively um, improved the movement first, strength came back. Yeah. Now all of a sudden from five pounds to 25 pounds, they were just getting a lot of yeah. neat results. And they were, they're just like, wow, I, I didn't think this was possible, Wayne, after the age of 50. But it was. Sorry, sorry, but I, what I'm fine with my clients is the, there's almost a resistance to the idea of resistance training. So you stick a stick a dumbbell in front of them and say, okay, pick that up. They look at you strained and think that that's, I'm not, I'm, I, that's going to, that's, that's going to be, it's going to hurt me. Yeah. You say, okay, we'll pick up that suitcase, which weighs five kilograms and they'll pick it up. It's, it's so it's that mindset of going to a gym. I mean, the, the listeners can't, can't see this, but behind Wayne and Dan is this amazing, TRX and, and 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 Smith machines and loads of loads of equipment, so very, very inspiring from my end. But but a client walks into there for the first time, they're going to be they're going to be scared and they're going to be thinking, my God. But ask them, I say, to pick a suitcase out of the, out of a, out of the back of a car, and suddenly they get, they're thinking, I'm going to have to do this, and I, then they hurt their back because they haven't lifted it properly or they're not strong enough. So it's 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 all two two worlds, and 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 trying to bring that together is actually can be challenging, but but rewarding at the same time. Speaking of the suitcase flying here, the number of fifteen year old fifty and older people getting their luggage out of the overhead, <laughs> right? Here's the dumbbell, but I'm going to grab that thirty five pound you know wheeler <laughs> and, and over my head, and it's amazing to me to watch I mean, some of the women. I go like, oh, okay. You know, and and nobody's rushing to help them. Right. Oops! But don't lift the five pound. Yeah, like, no, 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 heaven no, forbid, no. Five or ten pounds over your head. So it's been interesting. A couple of um, verbs that uh, Dan used: reigniting, mm. reviving, and invigorating. Mm. And it's that's what it, that's what we found. Strength training has been to these clients. And uh, when sixty-year-olds come and say, "Look, I want to go snow ski. I don't know how to snow ski." Uh, but I want to snow ski with my grandchildren because my children have gotten interested in flying out to Colorado, flying out to Utah. And I go, okay, I, I, we can do that. And you can learn to snow ski, but we're going to work it on balance. We're going to stand posture because people lose the concept. It's, it's hard to believe, right? But we lose the concept of posture. That's because everyone's seated, working at the desk, hovering over, over a computer. And so is it, let's reclaim some of this awareness and, uh, 
build back what's necessary to understand good posture, good squatting mechanics, and then we can build some strength onto that. So and it's paramount, though. The process is safe. Safe and technique are paramount in, in our, at least my, my, in dance, too, our routines. So, Wayne, take, take us through that, that sort of scenario where, where somebody does present to you and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to learn to snowshoe and maybe some skiing, you know, with, with, with my grandkids or whatever. Um, presumably, when, they, when that sort of person presents to you, they haven't done much exercise in the recent past. So they're, they're fairly green in that sense. What, what's your typical pathway that you, 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 you take them through? I mean, the, I think the path, once you clear health history, you know, and those things involved with that, it's a movement. It's a movement screen. You can do the FMS, the great cook stuff. Um, you can do just having squat, uh, show me, uh, just walk, walk across the room, sit and stand from a chair. Uh, can you do lunges? Can you do a backward lunge? Can you lunge across the room and uh, stand uh, stand on one leg? I mean, all those are somewhat variations of Gray Cook stuff. And then that that uh, those movement screens will identify asymmetry asymmetries. Uh, those things are, are maybe loose and long, tight and short. And then we tackle the worst area first. You know, uh, some of the people have a lot of balance issues. Um, but you know, you just design a program, then tackling, like if they, if they, if they can't squat well, uh, or they're not aware of their posture or I've got a tweaky shoulder, then, you know, it's, it really can be a slow progression, but, um, you know, the clients are, they're really appreciative of the information they learn and they surprise themselves. And then as a practitioner, I'm like, wow, I learned from them as well. Um, so I I think once someone comes to you like that, you know, they have to be committed to, you know, a couple times a week, three months, you know, um, if they, if they're untrained completely, or if they used to, I used to, you know, play basketball or I used to run track. I mean, there's a lot of guys used to run track that you'd be surprised that they ran track because they're, they've been working really hard and they're 30, 30 or four. 40 pounds overweight. But once you start showing them a few things and you get back, get them back moving. Wow. It, it light, they light up mm-hmm. and you go, you know, and there's a nutritional component to it as well. Yeah. So, so once you get that movement, do you then, is it then that you start really building on top of that with, with the strength work? Yeah. Cause I think you have, and Dan can address this more from a uh, technical standpoint, but yeah, you've got to develop a good sound foundation. You know, there's a saying in the field, you don't want to add strength onto dysfunction. Hmm. You know? And so you got to really cover your bases and that's makes for a little bit of a slow progression. But then, you know, I just feel that technique is paramount. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm always telling clients, you know, it, it's not so much how much you lift, it's how, it's how you lift. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's so important to get that right because, but you know, the, the, yeah. once you're getting a, not a purity. I mean, with, with, with my clients, I'm always saying it's, it's, it's progression rather than perfection. But but as long as you're you're heading in the right direction, um, then as long as you get the technique as close to, to, to right as you can get it, um, then then I think that's spot on. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Mm. We we like it to look good. Yeah, 
Yeah, we we like the look, you know, the the recline pull on the TRX that nobody can see behind us, or the uh, you know incline push up on a fixed bar, mm. the nice posture, you know, just sitting and standing from a chair. You know, it's amazing. You have you have, we have some people that come in from a spin class and they go, well, you know, I, I I'm on a spin class. I'm there three days a week and I'm rocking through it. And I said, okay, good. Let's go do some movements. They can't squat. They, they, either there's no resistance or, you know, the seat is so high. And so they really don't have squatting mechanics. So some of the endurance stuff that they done were great cardiovascular, good heart health and all that. But sometimes that doesn't build strong legs and you've got to have strong legs to keep moving forward in life. Something I learned from my old coach, Harry Snyder. My, uh, what you were saying about asymmetry sort of rings true with me as well in as much as I see so many clients who have, or I, I rarely see clients who have bilateral problems, bilateral knee, bilateral Achilles tendon, bilateral um, uh, shoulder problems. It tends to be one side or the other. And, and so medical medicine is very good at identifying where the pathology is um, and then sort of victimizing the area that's been, that's become damaged or painful um with and but for me the question is always which is much more interesting is why is it that tendon on the right and not on the left why is there something happening on that in that tendon when this person's a runner or a cyclist and they're loading the legs supposedly the same but when you have this asymmetrical presentation of injury it tends to see well there's there's clearly you're not moving symmetrically there must be something in it and it's the identification of that, which for me is is key um, to then getting the patient better. And you talk about the uh, movement screen a little bit and mobile and stable joints on top of each other a little yeah. bit. Yeah, no, but Greg, you make a you make a very good point. Um, how do I want to start with this? But um, I guess in in my experience as well with dealing with endurance individuals, you know, cyclists and runners, there's this this cross extensor reflex that occurs, right? My left knee drives as my right arm drives forward. And we're always, you know, we're, we're, we're working in this sagittal plane, but with opposite movements across the body. Mm. And it's interesting how, like you mentioned, those asymmetries may or may not occur in some of those individuals because of what they're doing on a regular basis. And, and what we've tried to dial it down to is, you know, obviously there's a dominant side to, to most individuals and and how are they how are they carrying themselves posturally um, throughout the course of the day and um, just I guess looking at those little details from the activities that they do how they carry themselves and then you know what are the previous injuries and try to put that puzzle together to figure out exactly to Greg's point why is it that tendon why is one of the rotator cuff tendons giving me problems in this certain activity. Why is I, why do I have patellofemoral syndrome when I'm running only in my left side? And it's, it's really interesting, Greg and Jason as well. I just, it's, it's kind of a mystery with a lot of folks and trying to dial down how, how did they get to that level? I, I mean, I look at myself, I had a knee injury and a hip injury when I was 17 um, playing American football and, you know, now I'm having some front hip and, and low back issues on that right side. Well, that was 25 years ago. Mm. And, you know, now you go to Wayne's age and you add 20 more years to that. And, and uh, 
you know, now it just gets the puzzle pieces get smaller and more jagged and harder to put together. And that's where it gets it gets tricky. It, you know, challenging. It, it is it is a real puzzle. Um, and then sometimes I end up going to physical referring the people to a physical therapist. I can't figure it out. Uh, then I learn something from the physical therapist or I take another a course or listen to a lecture. And I remember, I don't know whether it's great cook that sort of popularized the idea of having the body as a series of stable and unstable joints on top of each other. Um, so for instance, the instep supposed to be stable, the ankle mobile, the knee stable, the hip mobile, the low back stable, um, and the thoracic spine mobile and so on. So, so when you, you're presented with a client, who comes to me and she says, well, I, I'm a golfer. And I, and, but I, and so we do a screen. I go, okay. Um, she says, but I have pain in my, my, the outside of my right knee. She swings from the right side. Okay. So you're no, taking note of all these things and she's moving around. And I said, uh, okay. And I, and I thankfully had taken some of these other courses and learned a few things. I go, I know why your right knee is sore. You have no internal rotation in your right hip. And that'll manifest itself either in your right knee or your low back. So in the backswing, that's internal rotation of the right hip. She has none of that. So she torques into her knee mm. and she has this massive pain on her right knee. Can I fix that? Um, I, I, there are some stretching things you can do with the hip. Yes. But there are some other, also manual therapy that a physical therapist, someone work, works with soft tissue that sometimes can, can attack it better and faster. So, yeah, but it can be a real puzzle to, to try to figure out, well, why is this happening? You know, it's challenging. Mm. So what I'm taking from what you guys have found um, is, is and I, so I'm predominantly an endurance athlete, right? And, and, and Greg, Greg does the strength stuff and he, he, only the other day nagged me that I need to do more strength stuff, but, but it yeah. does, it does seem, <laughs> it does seem that that is a critical piece of this midlife athlete jigsaw from listening to, to you both that actually the, the strength piece is, is vital for you to, you know, really sort of enjoy a successful, um, you know, athletic activity, whatever that may be into, you know, into that sort of third age. Is that fair? It's very fair. And you guys are aware of this too, Greg, Jason, like the percentage of muscle mass lost per year after the age of 30 is, mm. is borderline depressive. In most <laughs> I mean, for all groups, I'm, I'm 46, you know, you guys are in your fifties. Wayne's in his, I mean, I'm 66. Just, We're 20 years apart. It's just really interesting. And it's fascinating. I think once you get to that certain age where you kind of feel some of the things that are that are dwindling gradually. Yeah. I mean, strength is the number one component. What Wayne has talked about as well, those, you know, the, the movement piece, right? The muscles move the bones, which in turn moves the body. If those aren't functioning, right? It doesn't matter what the strength piece, piece does. Yes, we can do bicep curls night and day, but you know, in, a, when, in regards to hips and knees and ankles and thoracic spine and shoulder mobility, it's it's probably the number one piece like the muscle is is almost like an organ in our body right it's it's like a heart it's like a liver right if those things start to shut down we physiologically start to deplete the muscles start to shut down 
we start to deplete. Uh, depletes maybe a harsh term, but we, you know, we start to age. And uh, absolutely, the, the strength piece, but making sure the, the movement is correct. So the muscles are doing the correct thing in the correct manner with the progressive load. Now we're getting somewhere. I've had some you, people, sorry to interrupt then. So if it's this, if strength is that important for an endurance athlete like me, would you, would you, would you guys from what you're seeing suggest that we should dial back a little bit on the endurance and, and start doing, you know, introducing some strength work and if that means sacrificing an endurance session or two then it's actually beneficial to do that well I, I, i'm gonna say yes <laughs> I, I would say, I'm, 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 I'm gonna let wayne go well no i would say yes i was just gonna say i i a number of people in the gym who i i look <laughs> maybe a they're really into cardio. They're going to spin the bike. They're going to do the elliptical. They're going to go to another and they're really, and you never see them lift any weights. And invariably I've had them come to the gym and say, you know, Wayne, my joints are, are, are hurting me. And I go, I think you need more strength. I, it's just me. You're spinning the bike, you're pounding the pavement, you're doing the elliptical. You need to build some muscle. And so I, I think, and Dan can address this because he's worked with a lot of triathletes and distance people more than I have, although I've worked with it. I worked with a client, great guy. There was a, a group of a group of doctors. You've got to kick, kick out of this one, Jason. And you may have heard of it, a, a, a race called the Rim to Rim, Grand Canyon. A, a group of doctors would go rim to rim at like four in the morning. And so I had a buddy who was in the medical field, president of a company. He goes, Wayne, I want to do this. And he was a runner and a good golfer. And he says, but you need to help me with the cross training. And so I worked with him twice a week on cross training around and he had he had the programming already down for the marathon programming. You know, we went through it and I said, yeah, from what I know, I think Dan probably looked at it as well. Good. That's when he was in Dan was in Jupiter. And I said, OK, well, two days a week. And I recognize that, you know, of, of how hard he worked that week or the day before we did cross training to build muscle. You know, because it, this was really a walk run type scenario, okay, where they're using trekking poles and everything. So we got to work some upper body too. And it works really well. So, yes, Dan and I would say, Jason, give up a day or two <laughs> or give up one day maybe and do some strength work. I think it pays off. I really do. My, 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 my take on it is, is certainly from a, from a patient's perspective, particularly runners. And uh, when, you, when you ask them, um, do you do anything else apart from running? And they say, um it's more in fact it's more people are doing more weights these days i must say but it used to be a case of well i I run so therefore that's my weight training for my legs i don't do leg strengthening exercises because running does that and i've always said to clients yeah the, the the body the brain is very very good at hiding weaknesses it is brilliant at 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 it has built in redundancy so if you if you're if you've got a weak calf or a weak hamstring, you won't notice it on a bike. You won't notice it on, on a on a on a run until it starts to play up, maybe, or causing problems elsewhere. So strength training for me is is about uh, finding those strength deficits uh, and then and exposing them, strengthening them up. So you, it's like sort of strengthening um, finding the weakest link in the chain, identifying that weak link and strengthening that link. And then, then you've got a slightly stronger ch- chain. Then you move on to the next weakness link. So it's 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 a for me strength training. It, it sort of underpins everything, not just endurance. Uh, well, not just 
strength training, but it, it underpins endurance as well. It, you've got to be strong to be able to withstand, you know, three times body weight when you're running. <laughs> the load that you do each time you land is huge, you know, and the accumulative load is enormous, and you need strength. It's- Agreed. And back to Jason's point as well, you know, saying that the, the ultimate question, right, so an endurance athlete, and you guys are both of them, and I was one as well, it's hard to take – and, and eliminate one to two days to go do something in the gym that doesn't really stimulate me like a, like a longer run or a longer cycle. But you know, that's, that's where the education piece comes into play. Just like Greg was saying, at the end of the day, you got, you got a good amount of force going into the ground each time you, you impact. And that has to be supported by what Wayne said, joint infrastructure. And so, you know, to, to have a, a different yet somewhat overloaded stimulus onto those areas, absolutely beneficial. And, you know, don't get me wrong, the, 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 the certain zone training pieces, particularly zone two has been very popular now and, you know, and doing that on more of a consistent basis, but, you know, the resistance piece, it, it's hard to beat it long-term, especially if they want to continue to do the running and the cycling and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's also what, what happens off the bike and off and, and off the road as well. I mean, strength training gives you that ability to, to to do the gardening, to to clear out the garage, to whatever it might be, it's relatively safely, and, and you can enjoy what your body can do. And 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 whilst you'll be fitter from, from running or fitter from cycling, um, strength training being able to you know be able to lift that thing that weight above your head. Um, when you spend 10, 12 hours at a computer with your arms by your side, is actually quite important, um, not just for life, basically. Uh, coming here, once again, on the airplane, uh, you can notice people coming on and off the plane, getting their luggage on the plane, lifting it overhead, walking up the gangway, getting out of the plane, and you go like, a lot of these people could really benefit from that. That's the functional <laughs> aspect of strength training. Yeah, Seriously, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, I had a mom that lived at 97 and she was still lifting weights at 96. You know, it was pretty impressive. Mm. And uh, it's cap- it's well capable. We, we've all heard of Jack LaLanne's feats. And, um, you know, I think when he was 70 or something, he's swimming, towing boats across some bay in Long, Long Beach, right? Shackled and just crazy crazy and you have to be sure that was a bit of an endurance feat but you have to be strong in order to do that endurance feat and and dan you alluded um to the fact that obviously you're principally working with younger athletes um how how have you found the crossover between you know stuff that you're doing with the younger athletes it, it, does that carry over to the midlife athletes that that Wayne is, is is working with, and and if so, what what is it that gets sort of carried over? Are you talking, Jason, from uh, like what am I seeing from an initial evaluation between a young athlete and an, and a midlife type athlete? Or, or I was thinking exercises. I was thinking more in terms of the exercises because um there's obviously stuff that you would you would do with the younger athletes exercise wise um 
can that can that be lifted and carried across almost you know all of it lifted and shifted and dropped into the midlife athlete or or do we have to make adaptations from uh, what you're applying to younger athletes to midlife athletes yeah no good point uh, there's there's of course going to be some modifications in those in those types of exercise that we do and as Wayne um, mentioned before that gradual progression but um I think that in terms of what what I had done with a younger population, especially in regards to some faster paced resistance, uh, we'll use the term plyometrics here, especially with the lower body. I liked to or encouraged Wayne as well to to gradually progress them into those types of movements, because when we start to move a little bit faster within ourselves, right? And after we've established, you know, again, the movement qualities and some strength bases, when we started to move a little bit faster, um, we started to get a lot of, um, what's the term? Adaptation. They, they, they really started to adapt to those, those faster type movements. And I thought the, the plyometric piece, whether it was, whether it was on the floor with lower body or whether it was, up top with a band, just where we were increasing that velocity, that's that carryover from youth to older was just made a lot of sense because yes, the youth had to use that in sport, really nothing else. But the older population, as Greg alluded to as well, the safety aspect, can they work in the garden? What if they trip and stumble? Can they catch themselves? Are they living in Colorado and we get ice every once in a while and they slip and fall? Like that, that plyometric, that, that quick velocity type movement within reason in the training world was such a, a no brainer in terms of carryover. Cause we knew both, we knew both needed it just in a different way. <laughs> and Dan helped me be able to apply that safely. So he's saying, look, you ought to try doing this plyometric with them. I'm going, wait a second here. <laughs> Guy six years old. Okay, <laughs> he can he can do that. No, he says Wayne, you can you can do just two foot plyos. Take the seam in the mat, and it's 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 paper thin, and he's just going fore and aft, fore and aft bilaterally, both feet fore and aft, and get him a little springier. I'm going, okay. So I I I test it on myself. All right, and I I go yeah, and then I started doing that with clients. And I tell you what, you'll be really surprised at how well they pick it up. And then even people carrying a little extra weight who you go, okay, I don't think they're going to be very quick at all. And suddenly you go, I, I demonstrate, okay, we're going to do this side to side. I only want you to go up a paper's width over that seam, just back and forth. And they go, and you go, oh my gosh, it's amazing. You know, and it does really help. Like Dan says, catching yourself, you know, so you don't fall over a threshold in a door. Or you can catch yourself before you go down. This, Jason, this comes back to what we were talking to uh, the um, uh, philosopher uh, about the sort of mindful practice. Um, when you're when you're when you're doing something like plyometrics, you, you can't just do it. You, you've got to think about it and think about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And that and that training becomes um, and with enough time becomes innate. Um, and, and that's great on the sports field, but but again for life, that that as you said, you know, you slip, you fall, you stumble. Are you able to put your foot out? 
and 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 as we get older, you just see people who, who just their center of gravity or their base of support just gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And when they fall over, they just fall over like 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 a like a tree. There's no ability to step outside their base of support, put their leg out, and then and then and save themselves. And this is something like that strength training and then the extension to that plyometrics can really be helpful with. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, as we play sports into our later life, you know, it's great for the sport, but it's just so much safer. <laughs> it's, you know, and Greg, that's a good point because plyometrics, that term, you know, when, when we, uh, and, and not of, I'm going to say this nicely, but not a lot of midlife athletes maybe were exposed to even mm. the term plyometrics. Mm. Back in the day, you know, they just at least got to the United States probably in the early 80s, mm. you know, from from the Russians and the, and the Eastern Bloc countries that were doing it. But, you know, when you say that term now, it, it's a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like what Wayne was saying, what's the simplest version of just being bouncy on your feet? You don't have to do much. You just have to bounce. And that's Wayne's done it initially sometimes on a trampoline. OK, yeah. let's just get some rebounding of the body. Now let's go to the floor, firm surface, or maybe it's a mat, you know, let's just bounce a little bit. And then it just reduces that intimidation that Greg was talking about with something like that, that term, but mm. introducing that so they can feel this component. Okay. Now can we do some reactive plyometrics in a safe environment, which again would be absolute carryover to a, to a fall or catching themselves or something like that. So it just, I don't know. We did a lot with that and in, in introducing people that were like, nope, can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and nor do I want to dare. Well, well, it's we, like, okay, here's the simplest version. Well, we had, we had uh, Professor Peter Herbert um, on um, uh, a few months ago, and he's 76, isn't he, Jason? 76. Oh, something like that. And yeah. he's had a total knee replacement. And he was taking, he was taking us through his, 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 um, he does pull ups in the garden. He does, he does his um, master's. Um, uh, cycle cycle racing, uh, but he also does box jumps as well. So he's got his, he does his plyometrics and he's got a table knee replacement. And it's like hats off. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just brilliant, absolutely. absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we're um, Tom Brady, the famous quarterback, mm. uh, has his program talks about pliability. Dan and I think of that as elasticity, sort yeah. of in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to be a little more snappy. Even if you're using bands, can I do that a little quicker? You know, mm. uh, let's just be a little bit snappier. You can do that with light dumbbells too, or just fists or um, moving uh, so that, because that's what the younger athletes have. They have that elasticity, that pliability, and you can reclaim some of that. Mm. And depending on the implements you use, you can help develop that and accelerate the development of that. And bands are one way of doing that, using bands. I mean, where is, what sort of resources can people look to? Um, I mean, other than flying out to Colorado, um, but uh, but what sort of resources would you could, could you point could you point people, particularly people in the UK? Are there is there stuff online that you can say, okay, have a look at this? Because we can, we can post this up on our on our um, um, Substack etc. And, and just point people in the right direction. But where where would you? Stay say people start. They've never done this thing before. Um, it's a good question, Greg. And it, there's a lot of, at least when I um, look at the, the true literature, um, like we talked about early on, it's, it's getting more and more where you can 
can do a, a Google search or a Google Scholar type search and find some um, better pieces of literature, easier reading literature as well to, to kind of help um, guide the process. Um, I don't know specifically, uh, again, in, in Wayne's situation now, you know, trying to revamp his website and get more information um, through what we've been experimenting with um, to the rest of the world. And it, yeah. it's just, it, it, there's some good resources out there, but um, specifically, I don't, I, I don't know exactly where okay. to guide people more or less. Yeah. I think if people in, in England, or if they go, go to a gym, I think you need to work with us, obviously a certified strength and conditioning specialist or someone like that. And I, I think the, the most important thing for people is to understand they have to move and they have to move safely but they also want to build strength. I mean, that's where I would be coming from and, and finding find a trainer in their locale that say, look, I, I want to, you know, create a solid foundation and improve my strength and, and see what, see what can evolve out of that. Um, because it's, um, it, look, I understand the, the cycling and the triathlon and, and all of that, um, it's easier to do in some ways. Uh, the strength training, there is a little more of a curve that's involved where you need feedback. And there is some semi-group training here. There are some really good people that do semi-group training that involves lifting and bands and so forth that can be very good. So it's, it's a little difficult to find, but there, there are those people out there that are qualified mm. that can assess, do a movement screen, see where your weaknesses are and start on a very slow, progressive, you know, program. I, th I, think, I think what you're saying is if you look for, look for somebody who say is a certified strength and conditioning coach, it's not necessarily someone who's just a personal trainer who's gone through a few months of, of, of online or weekend work. This is somebody who's gone through a strength and conditioning program and is certified. That's, that's the, I think that's the important thing. That's the safest bet. I agree with you, Greg. Uh, yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah. just, and, and we run through it here as well with, with mm. maybe some individuals that are in the field that maybe aren't as qualified as they should be. But, yeah, the better the certification, the, the more rigorous the programming mm. um, and the education was behind that, the better off. Yeah, just because there's a, there's a lot, as Wayne and, and you guys have mentioned, there's a lot going on with a, with a midlife athlete, right, a midlife individual. And uh, there's, there's layers of things to go through in terms of, past history and movement analysis and strength deficits and dysfunctions, you name it. So what is available online is, is so much now, right? But it's difficult to understand how to apply. It reminds yeah. me back in the day when I was trying to play golf well, and you'd see a, a golfing magazine and say, Hey, here, here are tips to play golf better. Well, when I look back on it now, what I was trying to do was totally counterproductive because my body wouldn't allow me to do that because of a limitation, my thoracic spine is all jammed up. I can't rotate much because of my water skiing days or, or whatever. And so I think because there's so much on the line, you have to be a little careful. You can obviously gather a lot of information, but I think then trying to find a resource locally who can go, okay, we're going to put you through some moves here, see what your limitations might be or challenges going forward and then okay we'll identify those do some corrective exercise prehab or whatever you want to call it and then get you started on a slow progression to build back a solid foundation from which then we can add strength 
I mean, yeah, exactly. YouTube and Google can be helpful, but if it's just set, giving you a, a sort of list of, of things to do, you don't really know if you're doing them correctly or not. That's that's the thing. You, you can be you can read you can read it in theory, but actually putting it into practice sometimes needs a pair of eyes to, to observe and 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 and, and critique and, and correct, etc. Because some of the exercises I'll show you, legitimately, people 50, 60, 70, or 80, they won't be able to achieve that position. Mm. You know, it's sort of like the golf teaching pro who has a person and says, well, I want you to put your hands here and your shoulders get need to be rotated more around. Well, that client might not be able to do that. Yeah. So you're done. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Um, we ask all of our guests, uh, and we know that both of you have a sporting background, so there's 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 absolutely no getting away from this. But we ask all of our guests two two questions, final two questions, which which. Um, so I'll start with the first question to both of you, so you can a- a- answer individually. If there were just um, two sports or two forms of exercise that you could only do for the rest of your days what would be those two pieces of sports stroke exercise am i supposed to go for it <laughs> <laughs> okay um, there you go yeah. <laughs> um, two forms of exercise that i can only do well I, I would default to keeping my legs strong so i would think of squatting in some form uh, I, I, I am trying to hang on or to uh, my range of motion, uh, sort of stem the tide <laughs> a little bit. So I, I like doing goblet squats. So I would hope that I would be able to maintain a goblet squat with a kettlebell of some weight going forward. So I would think of that or some variation of the squat, leg strength, I think is paramount. Um, and another exercise, uh, well, I was a water skier. Water skiers are really good at pulling. Uh, my brother loved to um, climb a rope. He was a really good water skier. And uh, so I think maintaining chin-ups. Or if my shoulders go for some reason, then I'd have to go to a low row. But I, <laughs> some, pulling, some pulling exercise, right? And I, But I, I sort of love chin-ups. I can still do some chin-ups. So maybe, you know, when I'm 89, maybe when I'm, if I make it to 90, my, both my parents did, I can still do a, a chin-up or a pull-up. Yeah. So to aim for? What's, what do you say? What was that, Greg? Sorry. I said something to aim for. Yes, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly right. I would probably stay with the uh, the lower body theme as well. And, and the deadlift is, I, I thoroughly enjoy the deadlift and a lot of the derivatives involved with it. But I always feel like as I get older, I have to be able to pick things up off the ground. I have to lift them in, in some capacity, whether it be my kids now or um hypothetically grandkids down the way or whatever the case is. So I want to be able to, to be able to lift from the ground. So deadlift would probably be my go-to in terms of activity. I was, I was a basketball guy. Um, I played other sports as well. I was kind of a main basketball guy growing up. So that activity I still do today. um, A lot of times as a stress reliever, but just the, just the components of of basketball. If you guys are familiar, you know, you're moving side to side, you're moving forward and back, you're jumping, um, you're, you're having to react to an individual, to a ball. Um, you still have to maintain some strength overhead. And, and then there's the endurance component of that as well. So uh, of the two, uh, that's, that's probably the direction that I would go would be 
I, I need to be able to lift something off the ground fairly heavy and uh, be able to move and, and shift and react and jump and all the things I enjoyed doing when I was much younger. So those are the two I would go with. Cool. Okay, Greg, do you want to cover the last question? Yeah, so this is a Groundhog Day of sport. So the question, so the question is, if you could, re- there's, a, there's a moment in your exercise stroke sporting history. What would, if you could pick one, you would want to relive day after day. What would it be and why? Wayne had so many more better ones. I can't <laughs> a moment in my sporting history that I would like to relive. Yeah. The one that stands out most. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I think water skiing was such a explosive and invigorating sport, uh, particularly in water ski jumping. Um, you know, I think the sensation of of what what and I don't know whether you've seen this. I actually skied quite a bit in England at Prince's Water Ski Club mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, but water skiers generate their own speed cutting across the wakes. And then you hit this ramp that's about a 15 degree angle that you stay on for two seconds and you're trying to explode off the top. And you're you know, you change the vector force to going up in a crazy way. And once you spring off the top of that jump you're catapulted in the, in, into the air and uh, I think it's a pretty sensational feeling and uh, my body has been so you know thinking of that right now makes my knees and low back hurt a little bit <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that that sensation if I had to relive that sensation over that would be pretty pleasurable that you know when you hit the ramp and you extend off and every all the timing is right it's like a long jumper or pole vaulter or something like that and there's just this you know this explosion that's uh mm-hmm. that would be a lot of fun to relive every day okay even with maybe a little bit of a sore back and <laughs> <laughs> or you could just relive it, you know, just by visualization. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dan, what's yours? You know, I think it comes down to this guys. I just thinking about Wayne's situation. He was, he was mostly in an individual sports where I was probably, I grew up more in a, in a team sport atmosphere with American football, basketball and uh, track and field and baseball. So I guess you look back at those, um, those days when you were in, in really good shape um, and you had kind of control of the situation within the sport. You know, you prepared yourself mentally, you prepared yourself physically, but you, you had a, a feel and a control and a finesse about you that, that you probably never relive again, right? And, and there's just that whatever year it was, you know, it was 18 years old or 22 years old when you were right at your athletic peak, um, just having control of yourself, of the game, of the surroundings, the, the teammates, that the camaraderie. I know that's not, I kind of skirted the topic there a little bit, but that's, no. I guess that's what, if I could relive anything mm. athletic, that's no, where I, it would be. You no, know, I get, I get that. I get situation that. and have the ability to physically do it. Yeah, no, that's a good one. You can probably relate to that, Greg, from a rugby perspective. From my rugby yeah. perspective, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Camaraderie, yeah. teamwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, it's been absolute pleasure um again thank you for your time uh, uh that you put into this but um 
I will certainly, if 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 no one, if there's no other listener who takes anything from this, I will certainly take from this that I should do some some strength stuff, and I will pledge to you that I that I will. Well, Jason, um, we're seeing we're seeing each, we're seeing each other tomorrow, Jason. So uh, I'll remind you. There you go. You've got a day with uh, Jason. You've got a day with Greg. Pump some iron. Stay strong. He's actually hopefully going to fix my daughter, but um, I'm sure he'll give me a, a thing or two about strength. But I, I will def- certainly take that, and I think all all midlife athletes who listen to this should should take on board mm. what you guys have have seen over you know years of working with midlife athletes, which is you know it's it's an invaluable experience and learning. So um, thank you for sharing that with us, and uh, um, yeah, it's all very good stuff. Thank Thanks, you guys. Appreciate the time. A lot of fun. Thanks very much indeed. Cheers.